As they're finding their seats, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what was said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Thus ends our reading of God's unifying word. May all who hear it find that they have been given a seat in God's family. America is supposed to be known as a melting pot, right? A place where different nations, people from different cultures can come together and meld into a new culture. The, the idea is that when a person comes to America, not only will they change, but America will change as well. It is this mutual give and take as we learn from one another and grow. This is why we eat pizza, right? It is why we have children sitting on Santa's lap during Christmas. These are traditions passed down in this, in this cultural exchange. This, this idea of a melting pot has seen better days, has it not? America is growing more and more divisive as the days go on. And instead of trying to meld our cultures together, we, we, we now see this push to, to keep our cultural differences distinct. In fact, if, if anyone even attempts to share in another's culture, it's now labeled as appropriation, Right? And you'll be condemned for doing so. And so instead of being a melting pot, we have become more like a storage shelf where, where every tradition and, and cultural distinctive is, is packaged in this nice, tidy box and, and put on the shelf, never to be opened, never to be touched. And this has led to not only a, a greater misunderstanding between the differing cultures, but also to a greater distrust as well. So, so why did this idea of a melting pot not work? Well, why did we stray away from this concept? I think one of the big reasons why was because there was really no greater ideal, no, no greater authority that, that people could grab hold of that would supersede their cultural traditions. And this is why we see this, this pushback against making any type of changes. 
Bottom line, people, people never really left their cultures. Rather, they became defensive of them. And so today, instead of seeing a, a unified melting pot culture, we, we, we see cultural conflicts. Well, nothing's new under the sun, is it? Back in the first century in, in Jerusalem, cultural differences caused conflicts as well. And, and this was particularly felt between those who were national Jews, whom Luke refers to in our passage as Hebrews, and those who were Hellenistic Jews, Jews who were born and raised outside of Israel. You see, when, when Rome came to power, many of these Hellenistic Jews, they, they decided to move back to Jerusalem in order to reestablish their lives there. And yet in doing so, it became quite a challenge. And now remember, these, these Hellenists, even though they were Jews, they were born and raised in a different culture. And because they lived their lives outside of Israel, they never really learned how to speak the language, how to speak Aramaic. And this is important because the common tongue in Israel at that time was Aramaic. Instead, they would have spoken the language from the land that they were raised in, as well as Greek, right? Because Greek was the common tongue throughout the Roman Empire. And because they spoke Greek, they were now labeled by these Hebrews as Hellenists. Now, now let me be clear. For, for the most part, these, these Hellenists, they, they, they were not Gentiles. There, there may have been a proselyte or two, but for the most part, they were Jews. They were of Jewish descent, even though they did not grow up in Israel. And yet, because of where they were raised... Not only did they speak a different language, but there were these cultural differences as well. And these, these differences, they, they, created, they, they, they created a further a further wall of separation. Bottom line, the, the Hebrews and the Hellenists had a hard time understanding one another. And so they separated themselves as much as they could. And part of that separation was the development of of separate synagogues, right? There were the synagogues that spoke Aramaic, and then there were the synagogues that spoke Greek. And this led to only more, more strife between the two groups, for they never got to know one another. And their dis distrust for one another only grew because of that, that fact. And, and it was this distrust that, that plays into our passage for today. For what Luke is communicating to us is that much of this same strife had worked its way into the church. And as the church continued to grow, the, the contention between these two groups became more and more evident as their cultural differences affected many of the aspects of their daily lives. Well, finally, this, this strife came to a head as there was this disparity between in the daily distribution of goods, those who were in need were not finding that they were being taken care of. Let's, let's see how this played out. Look, look with me at Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
It was just last Sunday where we witnessed the irrefutable fact that God is an unassailable foe, right? You remember that, you know, his kingdom would progress forward. It cannot be thwarted. His apostles continued to preach the name of Jesus despite the ban that was placed on that name. And even after they had been arrested and beaten, they continued to press forward knowing that their God was on their side. The, the, the rulers of this world, the, the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, tried their best to, to put an end to God's kingdom, right? And yet they came up short because God protected his servants and the name of Jesus continued to be proclaimed. You see, God was winning, right? And the church, it, it continued to thrive as more and more people were repenting of their sins and coming to saving faith in Christ Jesus. And yet, with this increase in numbers, a new threat arose. For a greater effort was being required, not only from the apostles, but from the whole of the church to take care of these people. That meant that more preaching needed to be done, and and more people, uh, more needy people had to be taken care of through the distribution. And let's be honest. Twelve men can only do so much, am I right? Eventually things will slip through the cracks, and and this is what we see happening in our passage today. And yet this this wasn't merely an issue of bad administration, was it? For this mismanagement of, of their resources posed a serious threat to the unity within the church. The care for these Hellenist widows was somehow being neglected. Now, now, now think about this. If you don't speak the language, and if you're not familiar with the culture, then you can see why that these widows would have been having a harder time than all the rest. And to make things worse, because they, they were born and raised outside of Israel, they, they wouldn't have had any family within Jerusalem to help them in their time of need. And this is why they relied so heavily upon the church. And yet, as the church continued to grow and became, the, 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 the demand increased ever, ever increased, right? There was more people who were needy, more to be taken care of, and these Hellenistic widows ended up getting the short end of the stick. Now, is this a sin issue? Perhaps. Perhaps not. What, 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 this, what this really looks like is, is an oversight issue, right? And, and yet it is easy to see how these Hellenistic Jews would have seen these oversights as being done purposefully. For that's how they were treated before they had become Christians. Like they were second-class Jews. And now the question we must ask is this. Who were the ones who were neglecting these women? Who was responsible for the distribution? Luke mentions that that it was the Hebrews, right? But as we'll see from the context of of the the whole of the book of Acts, ultimately, the apostles were the ones who were responsible for this ministry. Look at at Acts chapter 4, verse 35. It says this, There was not a needy person among them, 
For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. These things were laid at the apostles' feet. And so they were the ones who were ultimately responsible for his distribution. Now, now how these things got distributed, how they got dispersed, we don't know. I'm sure the apostles had appointed people whom they trusted to do this task for them. And yet it was obviously done in a manner that favored the Hebrews over the Hellenists. And again, as the church continued to grow, this disparity also continued to grow. For this task was becoming more and more difficult, and people were beginning to be left behind. Now, now I want to give the benefit of the doubt to, and believe that these things were not done purposefully. But unintentional or not, bottom line, the neglect of these widows was in direct disobedience to God. I mean, how many times in the Old Testament do we, do we read about God championing the, the, the widow and the orphan? For example, look at, look at Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Here, God is calling his people towards repentance. It says this, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. The church had their hands full, did they not? The church was growing at a rapid, rapid pace. And yet that was no excuse for the neglect of these widows. And in God's eyes, this was not right. Dear friends, how observant are we when it comes to the cause of the needy who are among us. Who in, in our own church is struggling? Who is, who is suffering? And more importantly, how, how can we as, as Christ's body bring comfort to these people? Are we being active to help them? Or are we being neglectful? It was just last Sunday during our Sunday school hour that we learned about one of our sisters in Christ who is currently behind bars. Now, whether she is there justly or unjustly, I cannot say. But that's beside the point, right? For she is one of us. Now, it could have been easy for us to cast judgment, right? It could have been easy for us to see the differences that we have and to ignore our sister. But I am so thankful that is not what we did. Instead, there, there were many of you who stepped up to the plate, who helped our sister out in her time of need. And, and as your pastor, I am super, super thankful to see that happening. Not only for the sake of our sister, but for the sake of you. For this is an indication of the spiritual health of our church. That we would go to the lengths to serve our sister in, in the manner that I saw this weekend. It speaks volumes. 
And yet with the, with the early church, there were, there were those who were being neglected, right? Those who were not being looked after. And whether it was intentional or not, the, these Greek-speaking widows were being neglected. And in Christ's kingdom, that is not okay. And this is why we see these other Hellenists pleading the cause for their widows, right? Well, let's see what came about from their complaint. Look, look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. <clears throat> Probably not what you were expecting them to say, huh? Let's, let's break this down. Let's see, see what this passage is all about. Now, now, when Luke says that the full number of the disciples were summoned, what, what he is talking about is, is a church-wide meeting. Everyone was invited. The, and, and this not only demonstrates the importance of this matter to these apostles, but it also dem, demonstrates the level of transparency that they wanted to have as leaders within the church. I mean, listen, it, it could have been easily, this problem could have been easily swept under the rug, am I right? They, they could have just quietly fixed, fixed the problem and no one would have been the wiser. But, that, but that's not what they did. Instead, they, they invited the whole church to be involved in this matter. And if they were in the wrong, so be it. And what did the apostles say to the church? It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, what were these men talking about? What was probably going on was there was probably this pressure that they were under for them to have a direct hand in this ministry. You guys take it over. Because if you take it over, then we know things will be done right then no one will get neglected. And from a certain perspective, this makes sense. For these apostles were, were men of high character, right? And I'm sure that they would have excelled at this task. And yet, what did they say? It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, at first glance, this, these words can come off as condescending, can they not? as if serving tables was somehow beneath them? Let, let me assure you, that's, that's not what's going on here. What, what was going on was that the apostles were, were cutting off at the head another threat to the church. Yes, there was this threat to, the, to, to, to disunity, but the solution that was proposed would have created an even worse situation. And let me explain. You see, God had, had given to these men a specific role to fulfill. And that role was to, to teach and preach the word of God. And if they were to neglect that role, it would do far more damage to the church than to, than to neglect the serving of food. Now, this is not to say that, that one role is important and the other is not. Because both were important, and yet the one had priority over the other. And here's the reason why. Because it is our theology 
that drives our practice. It is our theology that drives our practice. And thus the preaching of the gospel is of first importance in the kingdom. But you may be asking why. Why is that so much more important? Well, for one, without the gospel message, there is no kingdom, right? Without a crucified and risen Messiah, there is no salvation. And without the message that Jesus died for our sins, there would be no one who believes. And without the declaration that Jesus rose from the dead, there would be no hope of an everlasting life with our King. And so there would be no kingdom without the gospel message being declared. But, but more than that, it, it is the gospel that, that motivates God's people towards good works. In fact, it directs our actions, how we live our lives. Listen, with, without the gospel, there, there would never have been this ministry to the poor in the first place. Am I right? For there would never have been any good reason to care for these widows without Christ caring for us first. And so, yes, the kingdom of God, there are different levels of importance. Not everything is equal. And yet, every good deed is of the Lord. And they are valuable nonetheless. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. There was a specific calling that God had placed and the lives of these apostles, and they should not be distracted from that calling. And yet, as we just saw, this, this proclamation of God's word, it goes hand in hand with taking care of the physical needs of the church, does it not? For it is only through the teaching of God's word that we can find any motivation to love one another. And so these apostles proposed a solution of their own. Look at, look at verses 3 and 4. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So we, here we see the solution that these apostles proposed. And there were two things that they had suggested, right? One, that, that these Hellenists should, should pick out from among them seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And two, that the apostles would devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, now I have to imagine that it was this first suggestion that, that spoke volumes to these Hellenists, right? I, I mean, think about what the, the apostles had just said. Pick out from among you seven men. In other words, the, the Hellenists should be the ones to choose the seven men who would oversee the distribution of this food. 
But not only should they be the ones to choose, but they should pick men from those among them. In other words, they should pick other Hellenists. Do do you see what's going on here? The amount of trust that that, that was demonstrated by these apostles to these people was jaw-dropping. That they would give total control to the Hellenists This ministry of the charitable distribution. The full control over the distribution for the whole of the church was now in the hands of the Hellenists. And this meant that now the Hebrews, they would have to rely on the Hellenists to make sure that their widows were taken care of. Do you see what's going on here? Now, now consider what this would have meant to these Hellenists. The, the, the roles had, have been flipped. And they have now been given all the power. Never have they been treated this way before. With such trust. With such respect. And now they were given complete trust. Why? Why would this be the case? Look at, look at Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This, this right here is the power of the gospel. It it does what that melting pot could not do. And that's because Christ In Christ, all of our worldly differences go away, do they not? He is that greater ideal that that strips away the distinctions. He is that authority that, that, that supersedes the last vestiges of our worldly cultures. He is the one who brings us together as his family. And that's because when we look to him, and to the kingdom that he brings, we realize that every other culture has got it wrong. And that only the culture of God's kingdom has got it right. I mean, what does the gospel tell us? It it, it tells us that we are all in the same boat, right? That we are all sinners and in need of a savior. And that apart from Christ, we belong to the culture of the enemy. Where our differences divide us. And yet with Christ, we enter into the culture of the kingdom where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is why these apostles could fully trust these Hellenists. Because to them, 
there was neither Hebrews nor Hellenists. Just one family in Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, these seven men were to be of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, as the apostles pointed out. In other words, they, they, were, they were to meet a certain standard. They should be reliable and trustworthy men. And there should be evidence within their lives that, that they have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And they should have a, a certain amount of wisdom. They, they needed to be trained by the scriptures in order that they would make good judgments. And yet these seven men would also be Hellenists. That's so powerful, is it not? They gave up total control of this ministry, all for the sake of unity. And this leads to the second part of the apostles' proposal, that, that they would now devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And here we once again see what it was that these apostles were to focus upon, am I right? The ministry of the gospel. And yet there was another word that they added in, did they not? The word prayer. And this makes perfect sense when you think about it. For, for prayer in the, in the ministry of, of the word, they, they go hand in hand. For the ministry of the word is only powerful when it is saturated in prayer. How so? Well, these men, when they would have been preparing to preach and preparing to teach, they would have been seeking wisdom from above. They would want to gain insight into the meaning of God's word. And who better to ask than the author, am I right? But they would also pray for the saints as well, that they might shape their messages towards the immediate needs of their congregation. And they would pray for the lost knowing that their evangelistic efforts would be in vain if the Holy Spirit wasn't moving in people's hearts. Listen, if God has called you to the ministry of the word, whether it is as, as a preacher or as an evangelist, whether you're leading a Bible study or, or teaching the children downstairs, know this, you need to be in prayer. Because if your word ministry is relying solely on human effort, then guess what the outcome will be? But if you're relying on the Holy Spirit to move in people's lives, then you need to seek the only one who can turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. So the apostles gave their proposal to the church, but... How was this proposal received? Let's find out. Look at, look at verses 5 and 6. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The suggestion of these apostles pleased everyone. And why shouldn't it? For, for it would take care not only of the needs of the Hellenists, but also the needs of these apostles. And, and it would promote both, both unity within the church, 
as well as the priority of the, of, of the ministry of the word. And so they selected seven, right? All of whom were Hellenists. And, and we know this because they all had, had Greek names. And so we have seven quality men, men who were ready to take on this role. And yet before they could do so, what did the apostles do? They laid their hands upon them and prayed for them. Now, now, when Luke describes them laying their hands upon them, what, is, what he means by that is, that is that these men had the apostles' approval. They had the apostles' blessing. That the apostles were delegating authority to these men and praying for God's wisdom to direct and guide them. In essence, just as, as Jesus had commissioned the apostles, so now these apostles were commissioning these seven good men. And what were the results of, of all of this? What were the results of the apostles appointing these seven good men? Look at our last verse. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And here we once again see God blessing his church, right? And I believe that, that one of the reasons that God chose to bless his church was because they had prioritized what was most important. Both the unity that they had in Jesus Christ, as well as the ministry of God's word. And there were three results that we see, right, in our text. One, the word of God continued to increase. In other words, because the apostles could once again place their sole focus upon the preaching of the word of God, then the proclamation of the gospel was being done more than ever, both in and outside of the church. Two, the, the, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Numerical growth was a direct result of this increase in the preaching of the gospel, right? Now, we don't know how many new believers came as a result. Luke doesn't mention it here. But from what we have gathered throughout the book of Acts so far, when we consider both the day of Pentecost and the other times that Luke mentions numbers, we, we, we might assume that there were probably now at least 10,000 Christians living within Jerusalem. And think about that. They started out from a ragged band of 120, right? And now they're probably right around 10,000 people. And that's roughly 10% of Jerusalem's population of that day. God was having a huge impact within that city. And finally, the third result that we see was that a great many of the priests had become obedient to the faith. This means that, that men who were born into priestly families had their eyes opened. That they started believing in this Jesus, despite the pressure that they must have faced from their priestly leadership. Again, God is breaking down strongholds. 
Now, now when you add this all up, when you look at these three things, at how God had blessed his church, is it really that surprising? That, that, when God, when, that when the church focuses on the things that it's supposed to focus upon, that we see this type of growth? Of course not. And I, and I believe that God will do the same in the church today. That, that if we learn to recognize and, and place an emphasis on the, on the unity that we have in Christ, and if we see the importance of the ministry of the word, then God will bless us as well. And I believe that we are already seeing this to some extent. For, for one, I, I saw our, our unity in Christ just this weekend when we were able to help out a sister in need. And it was at our Thanksgiving dinner last Sunday when, when I had the privilege to hand out those 24 awards. This means that we have 24 people in this church who are using their gifts for the furtherance of the gospel. And there's probably more. I'm sure I missed folks. Now, now some of those volunteers have their focus on the ministry of the word, which is great. And yet others have been gifted in different areas. Different areas of God's kingdom, which are also important. For there are many things that need to be done to make New Hope Church function, am I right? And by you doing all those things, what it has done is it has freed me up. And it has freed up others who, to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. And so we see both a, a unified spirit as well as the priority of the ministry of the word right here at New Hope Church. And let me tell you, nothing makes a pastor happier than to see those whom he is serving living in unity with one another as they take up the mantle of God's mission. And that's because God will bless his church when his faithful servants fulfill the roles that he has set before them as they love one another. Let's continue in this love. Let's continue to focus on these important matters. And let us see what God will do next. Let's pray. Father, we, we truly are so thankful that you have united us in this way as your family, that we no longer need to divide according to the ways of this world, but we have unity in you. And we thank you for the ministry of your word, that your word is shaping us and is molding us into the image of your son. And we thank you for your son, this one who died for our sins and rose victoriously, bringing us new life in him. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who works within us, producing the faith that we need to be a part of your kingdom. And so we pray to you now, help us to, help us to strive to see your kingdom grow. Help us to fulfill the calling that you have given to us. And help us to love one another in unity. And help us to love you. For you are the one we praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.